Welcome to the Coventry Vineyard Podcast. Wherever and whenever you're listening, we hope you're blessed by this message. If you want to find out more about our church or speak with someone about Jesus, head to coventryvineyard.org. It's good to be with you this morning. Um, we, um, yeah, we moved to Milton Keynes a year ago, so we've been there for 13 months. Uh, if you're not familiar with Milton Keynes, it is the UK's newest city. Uh, in fact, it's 56 years old. Can you believe it? A city only 56 years old in this country. Some people say, what's the difference between Milton Keynes and yoghurt? Uh, yoghurt has culture. Um, but um, that's not true. Um, uh, it's a city that we love, and um, 25% of our city is parkland. Um, I just felt like being in Coventry, you might appreciate that. Um, but um, yeah, we're, we're having fun. Uh, we're in those very early stages of um, gathering people, mostly in our home, um, around our table. And, um, you know, we count all sorts of things, pets, cardboard cutouts, um, you know, just to kind of make ourselves feel better that people are there. But no, we're, we're in that fun stage of church planting. Something you're thinking that doesn't sound like fun, uh, but it is. Um, I want to be super practical uh, this morning. Uh, and I just want to offer some thoughts, if you like, around this uh, invitation from Jesus to us as followers. In fact, let me, let me re- rephrase that. I don't think it's an invitation. I think it's a command. Uh, this command uh, from Jesus to his followers that we are to do two very simple things. We're to love God with all our hearts, our mind, our soul, our strength. And we are to love our neighbor and, um, you know, that, that kind of sounds like a, a very simplistic thing, doesn't it? And I think in, in many ways it really, really is. And, and I think actually the, the first part of Jesus' command, love God, we kind of get. We kind of get, you know, we kind, we kind of know at least where to start with that. We, we know how to express love to God, particularly if you've been around uh, the vineyard for a while. You know, we get to do that quite often, don't we? In the, the way that we have this morning as we've worshipped. Uh, we, we kind of get how to do the love God bit. Yet when it comes to the other half of this command, we can... We can sometimes, although we have desire and although we may have a passion, we can struggle to kind of know where to start. How do I start to do this loving my neighbor thing? What, what does that actually mean, Jesus? What does that mean, love my neighbor? Or as one person in the Gospels asked Jesus, who even is my neighbor. And Jesus, we haven't got time to look at it today, but Jesus actually defines our neighbor as anyone in need. And he even extends that a bit further. He says anyone in need, and that includes your enemies. So people we don't like and people who don't like us. And so as we begin to wrestle with this, and this is something we've been wrestling with quite a lot recently, 
Uh, there are some intentional things that we can do to love our neighbours. And I want to suggest that a starting point in learning to love our neighbours is learning to listen well. Learning to listen. Not talking, listening. Not forcing people into whatever conversation we want to have, which sometimes, let's be honest, as Christians... Uh, we're, we're, we're actually guilty of doing that. But learning to listen and understand where people are at. Now, I would say all of us think we are better listeners than we really are. And, and one kind of humorous example of this is with the, the mishearing of song lyrics. Has anybody ever been guilty of mishearing Song lyrics. How many of you have been singing with passion in the car to whatever song is on the radio, only to have your passenger say, what was that? Um, um, you know, you kind of, what, what's that Wilson Phillips one? Things will go your way. It's not pizza dough your way, but things will go your way. Um, or, or maybe like me as a child in primary school, singing hymns, and whilst everybody was singing, I am the Lord of the dance, said he, I thought it was, I am the Lord of the dark settee. <laughs> um, you know, I had visions of Jesus hanging out on a Chesterfield sofa. Uh, you know, it's just, that's, that's what I, I thought it was. Or maybe you're brave enough to sing karaoke. And, you know, you look at the screen, you think, oh, they're not the words that I thought they were. Any, anyone, anyone relate to that? If, if you can't, then I've got a, a short video clip. Just, uh, just to illustrate this. Whilst that's a humorous example, uh, what it illustrates is that when it comes to listening, we all have this ability to construct words in our minds that we think we've heard, or even what we want to hear, or even worse, what we've already decided a person is saying. And so we end up operating with this mindset where we've already decided what a person thinks or what people like that think. And so therefore we end up spending our whole time listening uh, to simply confirm what we've already decided. Let me just get one thing straight. That isn't listening. Okay? And I want to suggest this morning that one of the most important skills that we can master, not just in kind of loving our neighbours, but just in life in general, one of the most important skills we can have is the ability to listen. As the Anabaptist author David Altsberger put it, he said, being heard is so close to being loved that for the average person they are almost indistinguishable. If the call of the scriptures is to love those around us, to love our neighbours, or even go further, to love our enemies, we need to understand uh, those, those aren't suggestions, as I've already said. Those are commands. That's a command of Jesus. And so if that's the kind of people we're meant to be, then I think there's a skill for us to learn, an ability to push past our preconceived ideas and hear what someone intends to say, not just what we've decided. 
often, if we're honest, um, our listening is actually only there to facilitate our means or opportunity to speak. How many of you have been in a conversation where, and you know the person you're talking to is just, all they're doing is constructing their next sentence in their, in their minds. It, they're looking at you, they're nodding at the right moments, but you know all they're waiting to do is to say their next thing. That isn't listening either. In fact, the opposite of listening is not speaking, it's waiting to speak. And we see this modelled by Jesus over and over again. And ironically, if, if there was one person who didn't need to listen, who quite frankly had a lot to talk about uh, and significant things to say, it was Jesus. Would you agree? Um, he's, he's the one person who, who perhaps didn't need to listen. And yet he chose repeatedly throughout the Gospels to stop and listen to what people had to say. Let's look at a couple of examples. Luke 18 and um, verse 35. As Jesus approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard the crowd going by, he asked, what is happening? They told him Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. He called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Those who led the way rebuked him and told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and ordered the man to be brought to him. When he came near, Jesus asked him, What do you want me to do for you? Lord, I want to see, he replied. Jesus said to him, receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus, praising God. When all the people saw it, they also praised God. And so here is this guy crying out for Jesus' attention. And everyone is like, you're not the kind of person we listen to. You know, you're on the edge of what's important right now. I don't know if you know, but we're, in some, we're doing some pretty important business. We're in the business of bringing the kingdom of God to earth. You know, you're, you're not that important right now. You're not that significant. And besides that, you're making a scene. And so would you just be quiet? And it's in the middle of Jesus' disciples rebuking this guy for the noise that Jesus responds. He stops and he asks, who was that? Who was that man? Bring him to me. Jesus stops everything, doesn't he? He stops his agenda, his direction of travel, whatever he was planning to do in order to listen to this man. How about this example in John chapter 5? It says, Sometimes later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for the Jewish festivals. Now there in Jerusalem, near the Sheep Gate, a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethsaida, uh, which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie. 
the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was, who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him laying there and learned how, learned how long he'd been in this condition for a long time, he, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me get into the pool when the water is stirred. Whilst I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. And so on this occasion, Jesus is going into Jerusalem on important business. It's festival season. Uh, It's all about to kick off. And in order to get into the city, he's got to pass through this gate. If you like, it's kind of like a turnstile into, you know, an event or a particular environment. And, And so it's a busy place. And if you're a person who is begging or wanting to get people's attention, then this is a good spot to be in. It's like every big issue seller's dream spot. You know, it's that place where everybody's going to be. Uh, and, and there was this, this belief that these pools that were next to this gate had healing properties. Uh, and, and, and there was this belief that the angels would stir the water and the first person to get in would be healed. Archaeologists have done some work since and, and realized where these pools were. There was, there was some tectonic plates and like mini earthquakes would take place under these pools. <laughs> Some of you are thinking, oh, no, it's angels. Um, but no, it was uh, many earthquakes were taking place. Uh, but there was this belief that this water had healing properties. And so in this place where lots of people are moving through as quickly as they can to try, try and avoid the kind of people uh, that are here begging and asking for help, it's in this place that Jesus stops and listens And so Jesus, in the busyness of everything going on, he stops and he asks this man a question. Now, it kind of sounds like a dumb question, doesn't it? I mean, there's this guy, he's been paralyzed for a long time, laying next to a place where it's known to have healing properties, and Jesus says, do you want to get well? So it kind of sounds like a, a really dumb question. Why, why would Jesus ask that? Well, in many ways, I think he's kind of investigating, isn't he? He's, he's connecting. He's making sure that this man knows that Jesus has noticed him. Yeah, that Jesus can see him. It's the same thing that happens in Mark 9. You don't have to turn there. With the demonized boy. And he asked the boy's father, how long has your son been like this? And, and, and now the thing that the father should have said was, Jesus, who cares? Just do your thing. You know, do your miracle thing. Just, just deal with this, Jesus. But you see, Jesus is interested in the person. He's willing to listen to the person, hear that person's story, understand where they're coming from. And the truth is there are many examples throughout the Gospels of Jesus' ability to be interrupted, for his agenda to be interrupted, and for him to sincerely pay attention to the person in front of him. So how well do you think you're doing at listening? 
I'm not going to test you. Um, but how well are you at listening? Truly listening to others, really hearing what they have to say. And in particular, how well are you uh, listening to those people who are marginally annoying? You know, we all have someone, don't we, in our lives who annoy us. Maybe it's a, a work colleague. Um, maybe it's someone in your family. You know, depending on what stage of life and how many kids you have, there's a good chance it's probably one of your kids. And, um, and um, maybe it's a sibling, a friend. And what we do when we have people in our lives who are slightly annoying, slightly irritating, is we create this wall that says, I don't need to pay attention to what this person has to say. We, we kind of create these walls around us. And actually, it, ta it takes a lot of effort to not decide ahead of time um, why they are the way they are. And instead, we have to decide, you know what, I'm going to intentionally listen to this person as a way to show love and care. But not only are we called to listen to people, but I would also argue that we're called to listen to places as well. We see this in the Apostle Paul. You know, he would go into particular cities where he would walk and pray and begin to listen to the city. Why would he do that? Well, I think he was trying to work out how that particular place worked, what some of the symbols were of that community, what traditions that city held to, why, and, you know, and why do they do that? And, and I think he would do that as someone sent by God, a.k.a. an apostle, to be present and active in the place where God had called him. One example of this is in Acts 17. Paul, he notices the idols of the city and he's able to speak into the city, speak into the residents in a way that reveals that actually these guys are looking for God and they don't actually know it. He says, people of Athens, I see you're like a really religious group of people. Uh, and he said, I've walked around the city. I've looked and carefully seen your objects of worship. And I even even found an altar inscribed to an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship. And this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. And he tells them the good news of the gospel. He says, this unknown God who you worship, let me tell you about him. Let me tell you what he's like. Think about this city and about the things that are important to this place what does it tell you about the kind of people who live here? What do they see as important? What do they understand to be true? What do people in Coventry celebrate? In other words, what do people in this city worship? You see, if we're serious about entering into the culture of our city with the story of good news that we believe can change the world, we should probably understand exactly what good, new, good news looks like to the place we're called to. We should know what that good news looks like. What does good news look like to Coventry? What does good news look like to your neighbourhood, 
your workplace, the, the street where you live? What does good news look like in those places? You see, when we learn to listen to people and the places that they inhabit, uh, we're given the opportunity, they're, they're giving us the opportunity um, to reveal how to love them, how to bring good news to them. Mike Breen, who's, um, he was a, a, an Anglican vicar, he's now like a, I don't know what he is really, he lives in America, so... Uh, now all's bars. But um, he tells a story that illustrates this of a, a group of um, English missionaries who were well supplied with money and resources and they were traveling to the slums or, uh, in a small Indian village. Uh, and they went prepared to start a ministry, maybe build a clinic, establish a new church, whatever this impoverished village want, wanted. Fortunately, they were smart enough to adopt a posture of listening. And the leaders of this village were very clear what good news was to their people. And they said this, what we really need is a post box and a post office. Now, these missionaries responded with, yes, we can do that, but what's the big ticket item? You know, what can we build for you? And the response of the people was simple. No, what we need is a post box. Now, the reality is, in the poorest parts of India, if you're considered a slum by the governmental system and don't have a postcode, then you don't exist on a map. There could be like 20,000 people living in your village, but without a postcode, you don't exist. And the result of that is you're not entitled to social care uh, or any form of structural provision or health care. You are invisible. The leaders of this village told him this. They said, if you are really here to help, if you are really listening to what we're saying, Get us a post box. Do that and the whole world will open up to us. Now, nowhere on those list of things to do for those missionaries was this idea, let's, let's build a post box. But by slowing down and choosing to listen to the people and the place they were being sent to, they began to understand what the real need was and make a difference. You see, learning to listen to people and places is a skill that we can all learn. And so as we think about Jesus' command to love our neighbours, the temptation is to start with our good ideas. You know, I've got this great idea, and I don't want to dim, diminish or undermine any great ideas that people have. But, but might a good starting point be found first in how we listen? Where do we begin to discover uh, the needs of people? Where do we begin to find out their wants, their desires, their fears, their regrets, their hopes? How do we begin to establish that and understand that? And it usually requires us creating a space uh, 
where, where, where we're willing to stop and listen and maybe ask some really good questions. Like, how long has it been this way? What is it you really want to see happen? If, if you could transform this community, what would it look like? You know, beginning to ask really important questions. Don't we all feel loved when someone takes the time to really know something about us that isn't easily observed? You know, um, you might not know this, but I am fanatical about Star Wars. You see, I've just told you because you're listening to me. Uh, but you wouldn't be able to observe that. We need to have a conversation for me to tell you that. But don't we love it when uh, people know things about us that they might not have any vested interest in, but they take the time to ask us about it anyway? What if we could be like that to the people around us? Those we're commanded to love. Those that don't know Jesus. Those we're called to take good news to. And in, in doing so, could we find a way to love people in unique and intentional and personal ways? Where we become more aware of their hopes, their dreams, their fears, their pain, because we've taken the time to listen. What if the secret of showing people the love of God wasn't by talking, but by listening? So that we engage them in the place where they, they really are. And you know, this isn't a quick fix. You might have to spend a significant amount of time listening before doing and that's really hard, isn't it? Particularly for the activists in the room. You know, why, why would I waste my time listening? I just want to do. But we may have to slow down and stop and begin to listen well. You know, for us living in a new city, in a new neighborhood, we've challenged ourselves to figure out what it means to really do this, what it really means to love our neighbors. And, and we've kind of taken that a step uh, further and said, what does it look like to love our actual neighbors? You know, like those people next door, um, also known as neighbors. And, um, and, and some of you may have come across Jay Pathak's book, The Art of Neighboring. Uh, and, um, and, and, and really, Jay Pathak's argument is this, that the ultimate expression of loving our neighbor is to love our enemy, okay? How, how, many how many people love loving their enemies? Okay, and so what if the training ground, you know, is to, is to love our actual neighbors? That's a novel thought, isn't it? You know, that actually the big goal is to love my enemy. The little step I can take is to actually love my neighbors. Uh, and so imagine, I've got this, just this little picture here. Uh, we, we haven't got time to do this in its entirety, but you imagine that those nine blocks represent your neighborhood, the place where you live. And the, the one in the middle is where, where you actually live. And the eight boxes around are your nearest neighbors. And what I want you to do, just think in your mind or jot on a piece of paper, the eight names of your eight nearest neighbors. I'll give you, I don't know, three seconds. Okay, um, your eight nearest neighbors. Um, 
Typically, in a group this size, about 10% of the room could say the eight names of their eight closest neighbours. Any, can anyone, anyone do that? About 10% of the room? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You've got half. Okay, so now what I want you to do, you're thinking of their names. Now what I want you to do in addition to that is, is jot, think or jot down anything that you know about them. Uh, maybe what they love doing, where they went on holiday uh, in the summer, anything like that. What you can't do is put something that can be observed, like he drives a blue car. That does not count, okay? Um, but something that you know, something of interest that you you know about them. Typically, in a group this size, about 3% of us could do that. Anyone? Any takers? Okay, we've just taken a shot on camera. Um, and then third step, okay? Um, out of all those, all those neighbours, which of them do you know their dreams, their needs, their desires, their fears, their, their spiritual journey, what they think about Jesus. Now, to make you feel better, in a room this size, roughly about 1% of people could answer that question. So what does that reveal to us? We're called to love our neighbours, which ultimately means we're called to love our enemies, okay? Uh, which is, feels like a big step. Okay, it feels like a massive step, doesn't it? I'm going to love my enemies. Um, or, or at worst, we turn our neighbor into this metaphor, like, I'm here to love the world. And we think, you know, we make these statements and we never actually do anything. Okay, well, that's the worst case scenario. So that's what we're called to do. The baby step is maybe I could love my actual neighbors. It kind of feels like, I'm not judging you, but it kind of feels like there's a bit of work to be done. Yeah? And, and might I suggest that um, if we're called to love our neighbour, and in this, for the sake of this argument, our actual neighbour, it might be a good idea to know their names. Just, just the thought. Um, and so maybe we've got a bit of work to do. Maybe for some of us, a next step from today in this journey of listening is just to figure out I need to figure out what my neighbor's names are. Not, he's, you know, I don't want to just know him as the weird guy who walks his dog at 7.30 every morning past my door, which tells you a little bit about where we are. Um, but what would it take to just get to know their names? Could it be that you knock on the door and you say, I'm sorry, I've lived here for 10 years and this is really embarrassing, but I just don't know what your name is. Anyone brave enough to do that? Um, but could it be a next step for you is to simply find out their names? And then might I suggest that actually we get to do the other stuff. You know, we get to figure out, you know, what they did for a summer holiday or what their favourite food is or, or, you know, what they like doing as a pastime. We get to do all of that stuff simply by learning to listen. Learning to listen. Learning to be interrupted, learning to have this ability to, um, you know, step out of our own comfort zone and step out of our own four walls and say, you know what, I'm just going to, I'm going to be present with those people around us. As I say, we're, we're, we're kind of starting from ground zero. We moved out of a street where we'd been there for like 
30, 13 years nearly, and we knew everyone, and we knew all their hopes and dreams, and, you know, we, we tried really hard to love our neighbours, and we've moved into a new street where we know zero people. Uh, and last week, we've got a, I th we think it's a Hong Kong family who have moved opposite us, and they were ha on their hands and knees with a wall scraper, um, scraping the weeds out of their block paving. And so I thought, ah, oh, I've got something I can lend to them. And, um, you know, so I, I have got the privilege of lending my neighbour a hoe. Um, but um, I, took, I took the hoe to my neighbour, and they don't speak a lot of English, and so I did a bit of actions and, you know, did, kind of did this and gave them the, the hoe, and they, they seemed quite grateful. And then a couple of days later, they knocked on our door. And, you know, with the very little English that they have, they, they brought us some food as a thank you. You know, and, and, and that, that sounds like really trivial, doesn't it? It sounds like, oh, big deal. But it's like, it's just a, like a little baby step in us trying to figure out how do we love the actual people who we call our neighbours. And, um, and so it's trusting that God uh, can, can do all, all the other stuff in between, that we just make ourselves available, that we learn their names, we learn to listen uh, and take time to listen to them. Thanks for tuning in today. We would love to connect with you on a Sunday morning soon. Bless you and have a great week.